0: Welcome to the Warrior to Warrior podcast, stories and skills to help you remember who you were before the world told you who you should be. After a few more months away from the podcast, I thought that this was a perfect time to bring it back in honor of Mental Health Awareness Month for this is one of the ways that I can continue the conversation in my little corner of the world about normalizing mental health and how mental health and physical health are not that different and how we are more alike than we are different no matter how the algorithms would have us view each other and have more compassion for ourselves and for each other at this moment in time the last time that i recorded an episode i was doing my own processing after Saying goodbye to our daughter as she launched to a new college in a new country, new part of the world. She moved to Edinburgh, Scotland. And as can happen to anybody in a big transition period, it's a time to reassess. Who am I? What am I doing with my life? And because we are living in a fairly new community in California's Central Valley, I was able to find another purpose locally which has been very inspiring and today's guest is actually a part of that. Her name is Jessica Avincena and she is the CEO and founder of Aspire Behavioral Health Clinics and Mindful You Psychotherapy and Healing Centers here in the Central Valley. And I found Jessica and what she offers because I was looking for a place that I could do my work in real life. Like many, I have been so fortunate to have the opportunity to work from home and to be able to offer therapeutic sessions and group movement classes through Zoom. And I continue to do that in my Warrior to Warrior Yoga Therapy membership program. It's been incredible. I have loved it and there's been a lot of positives about that, but it's time to also be with people one-on-one and in real life if that's possible. So I was looking for the right opportunity and I came across this organization that is an insurance-based model of a behavioral health program. So it's group therapy basically, but in this beautiful and inspiring model that Jessica created herself, and I'll let her tell you a little bit more about that within this interview. In this conversation, you'll hear about how she created this incredible offering, and she also shares with us some inspiring tools for supporting ourselves and the people that we love When it comes to our own mental health, we agree that there is a bit of a crisis going on, especially with young people. So she speaks beautifully about that. And as is the case in many conversations, whether they're recorded in long-form podcast format or in person, as two people become more comfortable with one another and with the medium and the context, more authentic wisdom comes forth. So. The more that you listen to this episode, the more that you start to hear Jessica really speak from her own zone of genius. And I was definitely taking notes and there is a lot that I took from this conversation. And I hope you feel the same way. I have many other people that I'm going to be recording in the next few weeks. So look for the podcast to be released every Friday. For the foreseeable future. And thank you so much for being here today. Let me know if you have any questions that I can answer for you, or if there's any topics around mental health and how movement and breath and meditation and personal development can be a support system. And I've said this before that when I was struggling, I did not know where to turn. And in this day and age, there are waiting lists for help. And so that's why it's so wonderful that there are so many resources. This is not the only podcast out there, obviously, that is offering inspiring information, but it's, it's, it's one of them and um, I'd like it to serve you the best that it can. So please reach out to me. You can uh, check out the liner notes in order to create contact and to find out more about Jessica please enjoy. Jessica, thank you so much for being here. Sure, for sure. Thank you. So I have to say that I'm so excited that I crossed paths with somebody like you. When I first arrived in Central California, I was doing a search of resources for mental health and uh, places where I could possibly be a part of, and I came across Aspire Behavioral Health. And I was so impressed as I read about this offering. So this place is a safe place for group therapy and clients come and they take part in these groups and you have created a lesson for every day. And the lessons are really structured around mindfulness and using gratitude as a tool for mental health. And you include the work of Rick Hansen, one of my favorites, and Brene Brown. I mean, I really see it as education that I wish we all would have received to learn how to manage our minds and our emotions. And it's just really the art of being a healthy and happy human. It is such an incredible thing. And you created that. So, I mean, I admire that so much. And my first question to you is, what was it about your own life that led you to create such an incredible offering that is doing such beautiful work?
1: Wow. Well, thank you, um, Lisa, for having me on. And thank you for that, you know, summary. Um, It's sometimes humbling to hear, you know, when you create something, it's kind of like your child, your baby, and, you know, you go in with the best of intentions. And um, but at some point, you also have to just let it flourish on its own. And allow other people to get involved. So it's beautiful to see what the vision originally was and that it actually did come to fruition. And even even I think bigger and, and still we're developing and growing into what it's going to continue to, to be. Um, but for me, my, my walk uh, as a mental health clinician took me through um, the county mental health systems the county hospital, inpatient hospitals. Um, so I went through a lot of different models, if you will. Oftentimes people are are so symptomatic and you just kind of wish like, gosh, wouldn't it be wonderful if we had a place where, you know, and then you just start ideating, you know, what you might do differently. You know, when you start in this field um, there's always a very humbling traineeship experience or a practicum experience where, you know, you're the bottom of the totem pole and you're just observing for the most part. And really that's that's kind of how I learned to just observe. And part of my journey was noticing where I would have do, done things differently. But at that point I was just a piece in the whole process. So I was into change agent. And so someday I thought, I might create something differently so that's that's kind of where my journey started i saw other systems i saw um other other places and i went here and i went there and i and i did have a passion to help people um combined with some business skills i had prior to coming into the field of mental health so i um I, i worked hard at moving up the ladder in order to have more influence in what i could
0: do i think a lot of people in the mental health industry would agree with you that change needs to happen that there are some missing pieces i mean it 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 is a system that in many ways is broken and so so necessary in our society and your program also includes the importance of movement and mindfulness and being present centered. And we know how important that is. Now, a lot of people would see the need for change, but then not be able to actualize that. What is it about you? And maybe, you know, what was it about you and your family system? Were you were you the friend that always wanted to help? What is it about you that was able to take the desire for change and actually make that happen.
1: Yeah, I don't know, maybe that's just ingrained um, in me, you know, coming to this country very, very early on, I was seven years old, didn't speak any English whatsoever. And it was just this determination of you just got to sink or swim, you know, type of mentality. And um, so that was, I think, very much ingrained in me um, early on, you know, if you're going to make it it's up to you, and if if you're gonna make it, you you gotta you gotta make it happen for yourself. So very um, much in my past, that idea of of just striving, and and now, interestingly enough, I continue to strive, but understanding that it's about the journey right? And maybe that's what's shifted, at least for me in my own work for myself and my practice is that, you know, I'm no longer trying to get somewhere. I'm really much more about enjoying the journey. And as it unfolds, who comes into my life, beautiful people like yourself, and just really co-creating with everybody, something that, you know, maybe started off as my idea, but then now can be released into what everybody else can put into it and make it beautiful.
0: Mm, That's something that was really beautiful that I also find comes the longer we live, right? Just allowing ourselves to relax a little bit as opposed to fighting for everything and, and mm-hmm. yeah, letting go of the struggle and letting things flow. That's, that's really just good advice in itself. I have so many questions for you about mental health, but what you said there just reminded me that I wanted to ask you about what supports you right now. You are very busy. You know, you have a couple of locations of Aspire. You have a private practice. Um, I know that your schedule is packed. You have a family. So what are the most important practices or maybe thoughts that do support mm-hmm. you in in your work and in your own mental health right now?
1: Yes. Wow. I mean, I think that when, when you're out there and doing so much, um, there's got to be a lot of not doing as well, um, because otherwise it's just it just becomes all consuming and not fun and the grind. And then that's where people burn out. And, and not to say I haven't been there because I have. So I think for me, it's really about my commitment to my own practice, which is daily. And for me, that didn't start off that way. I mean, I, I started in my meditation journey, um, not knowing it uh, about when I was 13 years old through massive migraines that I'd had my mm. whole life. And so I started with going to a psychologist finally um, because they had gone up all the various medical, you know, well is this wrong? Well is that wrong? And everything came back normal. So it was ultimately like, well maybe you're just an overachiever that stresses yourself out. <laughs> and so I was taught um, biofeedback at that time, and it was really this this guy gave me a tape, and that's how long ago this was. And he gave me a tape with that he had recorded of basically a guided meditation. And it wasn't called that. He called it, you know, biofeedback. And and so it was literally like him walking me through a body scan. And eventually, you know, he said, listen to this every night. And I did. And so inadvertently fell into meditation very early on in my life, not calling it that. And then finding it again uh, in my really as a passion and, and really putting myself in there in my late twenties, early thirties. And so that practice became one of those things where I did it. Like it's almost like where you schedule yoga, you know, like once a week and you set time aside and it's like, okay, I'm going to do it. And, and it's now progressed to literally for me, it's these micro moments in the, mo- in the morning I meditate, you know, between a meeting, if I have two minutes, I'll sit and I'll meditate. So it's no longer like something I schedule. It's now something that's just innately part of my. All the time.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have a whole, you I have know. a whole episode that is about that, you know, because it is challenging in our um, very real lives to set aside this mm-hmm. huge chunk of time. And I think people think that in order to start meditation, that it needs to be an, an, That's what you have to an enormous chunk yeah. of time. Yeah. But it can <laughs> be these little moments threaded throughout the day. Listening to your story about finding meditation at such a young age, you are really a case study for how meditation and present-centered awareness can work to heal us. And sometimes I almost wish there was a different term because I know you find it in your practice too. There's so much resistance to words like meditation and yoga because of um, some of the stories that people have about it. But really, meditation and yoga, I mean, it's all kind of in the same realm. And every practice is inviting us to become present-centered. And when we're led through a body scan like you experienced as a teenager, that is so deeply healing for our nervous system, you know, you're coming into relaxation and into brainwave states where there can be change and you experience that. And then it sounds like your passion grew and then you majored in mindfulness. Like, isn't that... Isn't that all part of why you created this program that includes mindfulness in its mental health?
1: Yes, yes, I do I do have to credit, you know, the wonderful company after I left uh, the county mental health system. I um went to work for this very progressive company. Um, some of you may have heard it. and they um their owner really embodies mindfulness. Like that's where I think I learned what is it that, a leader, you know, of an organization can really affect all the way down, trickle down, right. For, uh, for mindfulness. And this, um, this lady, um, who, you know, is the owner of co-owner of a wonderful company, um, avid meditator, believer of the benefits of mindfulness. You know, this is in the central Valley. It's an agriculture company. So you have people that work in the fields, you have people work in a factory and I helped develop, um, a program, a mental health program specifically for their employees and families. And and that's where uh, we had like a whole mindfulness week where literally the employees were were given these amazing workshops um, to learn how to meditate and things like that. So that's what um, prompted my training at UCLA. I spent a whole year learning about mindfulness um, from just the top minds, this is a worldwide program. They accept 50 people Mm -hmm. a year. So it's a very, very kind of rigorous and you had to have so many silent retreats under your belt, which that's a whole thing in and of itself, (laughs) you know, to be silent for days on end. You know, I did a seven day silent retreat and yes, that does mean you do not speak, right? You do not speak uh, for the whole time you're there. It's such a experience of going within, right? To, to really not have to deal with even just the pleasantries of, oh, hello, you know, how are you as you pass somebody by. The Mindfulness Awareness Research Center at UCLA was was where I learned formally the techniques and even the, the, the heritage, right, of mindfulness that does come from a mm-hmm. Buddhist um, Eastern thought. And so some of those tenets, you know, like we talked about self-compassion you know, empathy and equanimity and all of these concepts are part of that um, Buddhist tradition that isn't necessarily a religion, but a practice.
0: And now you have these groups that are consistently coming into Aspire who never would have encountered, well, many of them never would have encountered these tenets before. And now they have the opportunity to do it through a really modern, accessible lens. And i that's what I love about it. I'm just all about that. I'm so happy to be a part of it. Um, What you just said there brought up a couple of things for me. Can you imagine if more leaders in industry and if if more managers were also trained in mindfulness in order to be able to tend to their own emotions and triggers before before yes. leading and managing their people you know and even yes. even within the workplace and the politics that can happen can you imagine if everybody was trained to pay attention to um, thoughts and, and the reality of thoughts and how their habits and what they're feeling in their bodies and how their thoughts yes. um, promote their actions. I mean, it's so empowering and and it helps us to take responsibility for what we're feeling and what we're thinking, as opposed to project that on everybody else, which can create such toxic situations.
1: Exactly. And, and you know, I, I, it may sound quirky, but one of the easiest things to do, but I think, it, you know, I guess if people don't feel comfortable, right? It would feel kind of uh, uh, weird to to start a meeting. But that's how I start, like especially if it's a difficult meeting and all of my clinical supervisions, I start with, let's take a mindful minute. Mm-hmm. Let's take a moment. And because people are rushing people, you know, if I have eight people in a room who knows what their last five minutes before coming into this meeting was mm-hmm. like, or their, you know, or their day up up to that point, what's in their mind, what's in their heart. So literally just taking that moment to settle. And sometimes I guide, sometimes I don't, sometimes it's literally like here, we're just going to, you know, put some music on it. We're going to just quiet our minds, close our eyes and take a deep breath. It re-centers everybody in that room. It, it And then it allows that energy to kind of meld, And now we're ready to start the
0: meeting. Yeah. Your conversation can be so much more fruitful when people are coming again from that place of being present-centered rather than being fully in that um, sympathetic nervous system response. And then it mm-hmm. may not be a productive meeting because we might be coming from our own limiting lens in that place. So I love... I love that you do that. I do that in you know, private sessions with clients as well. But it makes me think that we should normalize doing that, you know, in our our family systems as well. Although yes. I, I've said this on this on this show as well. It certainly has supported me in my role as mother, you know, being able to take myself mm-hmm. away into another room and being with myself for a moment or two before I step back into that conversation. <laughs>
1: Oh, my gosh. Yes. I mean, and I always say this to clients and everybody like nobody's perfect. And if somebody if you if you think somebody is perfect, then then you just don't know their whole story. Because, you know, as a therapist, you know, I really, really believe that. And as a human being, we're all doing our best at the moment that we are in our lives. And so these um, techniques, these these practices, you're not going to see an effect right then and there, but you're going to see it a month. Two months, a year, two years—you're gonna notice. Gosh, I've really grown. Gosh, usually that would have triggered me, or I would have gone off, or whatever. And and we still, you know, it's a it's a never-ending work in pra- in mm-hmm. progress. We're always becoming that better version of ourselves. We're always um, forgiving ourselves for the last mistake we just did, and so that self-compassion and that meditation practice is crucial. Mm-hmm. Otherwise the ego mind takes over and there we are full of, you know, judgment and resentment and all of those. Things. That's
0: something that you teach in the lessons that your clinicians mm-hmm. are um, are teaching to the groups is the idea of self-compassion and self-forgiveness. And I just want to touch on that because I'm sure you've heard this from clients. I have heard this from clients who feel if they are too easy on themselves that they'll just never do anything. They'll never actualize anything. And in fact, I'll have you maybe share that it's quite opposite.
1: Yes, I mean, that's really one of the big lessons in my life, right? It was all about striving and what's next and the next degree and the next thing and the next. And and now I'm really, maybe it's also my middle age, right? But I'm also starting to realize it's, 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 it's gonna flow. It's gonna flow. It's the journey. I have to be... Um, loving myself, Mm -hmm. loving myself. And, and I know it sounds crazy in our Western world, loving yourself is equated to the ego and self-indulgence and all these things. Um, But I've really spent a lot of time with myself practicing self-love and to the point of, of having these moments of, of of self-touch, you know, hugging, literally giving myself that that love that you give naturally and easily to somebody else.
0: The Warrior to Warrior Podcast. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by my meaningful resource for my members, Warrior to Warrior Yoga Therapy. I created an accessible, affordable resource of self-care to support you from home as your own personal yoga therapist. My members receive live weekly classes and a continuously updated selection of therapeutic offerings in varying lengths and intentions. You can find classes that attend to your energy levels, your mood, time of day, desires, and emotional states. This is a robust resource, and it includes countless practices featuring my blend of yoga therapy, somatic coaching, and personal development. Head to lisadumas.com to find out more and try it for free for five days. Well, we have this inner cynicism, which I think a lot of people don't realize is, again, what we've internalized as we've grown up. And I notice it too when I'm offering self-touch and that self-hug in groups that aspire or with clients. You know, people will feel funny about it at Mm -hmm. first. And so there's such a resistance to that. And I think that terms like self-love and self-compassion, They've maybe even been overused and lost some of their power, but it is so powerful to take a moment or two to feel appreciative for ourselves and for what is going right in our lives. It's not like we're saying, let's bypass everything that's real and hard. No, mindfulness can actually help us to meet those challenges as we would like to. But it's also just giving ourselves a chance to feel more empowered as we are walking through those challenges.
1: Correct. Correct. Yeah. It's not swooshing. Like, uh, you know, I have two things in my, in my room is a a rug and a mirror. (laughs) And I'll always use those two as analogies of, you know, we love to sweep things under the rug because it works. It works in the moment. It works. It works for a while. But then that rug is so full of things underneath that we can't even walk around it anymore. Mm. We have to, and we stumble upon it. And then we have to look into the mirror. Mm. Right. But it's, it's a difficult process to actually do that, to actually take the time to feel. And then we need these tools to help us through. Well,
0: and most of us were taught to sweep it under the rug and to dry Mm -hmm. our eyes and to toughen up and get a thicker skin. I mean, Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) I was certainly. And now we're learning, oh, there's a better Mm -hmm, way. (laughs) mm -hmm.
0: Okay. So one of the reasons that I wanted to speak to you um, when I was bringing this podcast back is because May is mental health. Awareness Month. And you, you've you already spoken about burnout. And that is, I, I encounter so much overwhelm right now in clients and in people that I know personally. So how do you help people cope initially with feeling like they're really at their breaking point?
1: Yeah, I think one of the things you'll find is when you come into Aspire, Mindful You, any of the spaces I've created, I try to make it seem as though you're not going in for you know, mental health treatment. You're going into a yoga studio or you're going into somewhere to get a massage, some something positive that you're looking forward to. And so even from when people walk in the door, it's about the environment. It's about the de-stressing, the de-escalating, down-regulating, all these words, you know, where we're giving ourselves the permission to just take the time to invest in yourself, to for your, for your self-care, for your mental health. So when you walk into the the treatment rooms, it's really about, okay, I can put my, my backpack, so to speak, down, you know, and I always say, you know, you can always pick it up on the way out, Mm -hmm. right? But at least for the, the, the few hours that you'll be here, you know, you can, you can be real, you can be authentic, you can not take care, have to take care of anything. And you're just here to learn, to introspect, to go within. And so I think that's what is ultimately needed for burnout, right? Because we think we're always having to do things, you know, it's always the doing. And so here we're trying to just, hey, soak in what resonates, do the practices, walk the walk, and we guarantee you a month or two later, you're going to see a big change in your life. Mm
0: And burnout, you know, as that appears in home life, as that appears in work life, um, Mm -hmm. practical micro practices, you know, what would you say to a client when, when they're having moments that just feel really untenable, what what would, what would be a piece of advice that you would, you would give somebody that they can really take away that is accessible, that they could do for themselves?
1: And, you know, we have lots of these, this is like the big toolkit, Mm -hmm. right? That it's this imaginary toolkit that every day you come in and we're going to teach you something new that you can put into that toolkit. One of the easiest ones is the stop technique. Stop, take a breath, observe, proceed. And you can add so many things to that, but at the very simplest level is just stop whatever it is. Stop, stop the talking, stop the engagement stop the doing, just stop, take a breath. And that breath is literally not a quick thing. It's a deep inhale, deep exhale. Maybe you need three of those. Observe your body inside and outside. And then proceed means what do you want to do from here? Mm -hmm. Are you ready to re-engage? Do you need to back off? Do you need time to go for a walk or do something different? And and my favorite thing to couple that with is go outside, Mm -hmm. go outside and plop on the ground. I mean that, so that right there requires almost nothing, right? And so, if you can, this is the the easiest way to regulate yourself in a quick
0: manner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've given up sometimes if I don't have time, I'll give up more formal practices for an outdoor walk. And mm-hmm. I I know for myself, and I'll say it to others: move before you think, because sometimes we'll wake up in the morning, especially if we're feeling a lot of overwhelm um with those habitual thoughts about what's going wrong you know that's what our brain was designed to do and that can be helpful but it can be harmful and if we're moving our bodies if we're if we're getting outside you know it does shift something so i want to highlight that okay. again just so i can remember and our listeners can really take that stop which is stop take a breath observe and then proceed you know, sometimes just a couple of conscious breaths is really all we need. That can that can create a shift, and we're and
1: and dis, and disengaging uh-huh. too, right? Disengaging from that which is the overwhelm, or or adding to the overwhelm. Disengage. Like we don't need to keep doing to fix it, right? Or to or to finish the argument or to (laughs) just let's just stop, you know, it's not working.
0: So I think a lot of people would say that we are living right now through a mental health crisis as we come to Mental Health Awareness Month. I'm sure that you have experienced this in your own life as well, that a lot of people are struggling who feel like they've never felt like this before, and they're almost a little taken aback about what they're feeling. You know, They've just never felt like they've had to necessarily tend to their mental health. What do you say to people that are having a new experience like this? This is just unknown to them. What would you like them to know?
1: you know this is a reality that we're living in you know partly what we all collectively as humankind went through the last couple of years i mean we have to we have to understand that that changed us you know that changed the way we interact with one another that changed with our social lives i i don't think any of us could have planned you know for what happened or how how we were affected by you know, the, the, the pandemic and different things. But a lot of people who before you're right said, I've never felt depression. I've never felt anxiety. And now, you know, when I go outside or when I travel or, you know, different things that wouldn't have been triggers in the past are now triggers. Mm -hmm. Not to mention, that we went, we went in, indoors, mm-hmm. you know, uh, we were forced, some of us, right, in, indoors, and we couldn't leave. So we, we became very dependent on, you know, technology, a sedentary lifestyle. It, it, it was a shock to everyone's system. Mm-hmm. You know, we're very blessed to be in a, first world country, but we also have first world problems, things that in other countries you don't see. I recently traveled to Colombia. I'm a big proponent of plant-based medicine and just seeing the simplicity of life. Uh, I spent about eight days there living in the Amazon and, and, you know, engaging with a tribe down there and just local people in seeing the simplicity of life. They also don't have, you know, a lot of the problems we have although they don't have a lot of the blessings we have at the same time. So it's this crazy dichotomy between we have we we have a lot but we also have issues that come out of that. And depression, anxiety are some of the things that people are experiencing today more so than ever in our country as well as our teens. Mm-hmm. Our teens are suffering so 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 much with their identity um, who am I supposed to be, this changing world, um, demands of parents, demands of school, all of these things, you know, combining to create this environment of a mental health crisis for us. Mm-hmm. So literally what I saw in Colombia was like getting back to the basics was was always where it's at, right? The simplicity of unplugging, the simplicity of getting back to nature, getting back to conversations, getting back to family, to friends, engagement, community, um, all of these things, you know, as simple as they do sound, it's almost becoming a a, a luxury, right? To, to to engage in some of these things.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. What what used to feel like a fun activity three years ago. Yeah. It, it's just completely different now. Just spending time mm-hmm. in my backyard. <laughs> it just gives mm-hmm. me so much joy. You know, one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about is something that you mentioned in your answer there, which is our teens. And I am the mother of a 20-year-old, you know, who, like so many, lost so much over over the past years. And, um, you know, as parents, we're so close to that situation. It's really hard. You know, I, I can speak for myself here, too. We can focus on fixing Uh, It's really easy to come from a place of fear when we're seeing what's going on with our young people, Mm -hmm. especially if, especially, you know, if the topic of suicide comes up, we um, Mm -hmm. are really afraid of that. Uh, Of course, are there any empowering words that you can give specifically to parents who are just in a place of fear, in a place of resistance around their kids suffering right now?
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it is important. Here's here, here here's been my journey, right? And I have four children as well, all the way from, you know, 22 down to seven. Mm. So I'm still in it in so many different ways. One of the things I had to learn, and this was my toughest lesson, is that we believe our kids are meant to do what we want them to do. <laughs> in in all kinds of ways, right? Like you should be this, you should do that, you should become and some, that. And I just want
0: to interject that sometimes we don't even know that we think that.
1: We're doing it. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, that's pretty yeah. deep. Here, here was deep. the biggest like helicopter mom and, you know, uh, tiger mom that there ever was. And so I always will apologize to my twenty two year old because if you see how I'm raising my seven and eight year old versus my eighteen and twenty two year old, it's like I'm a different person. <laughs> and the and the basic thing difference there is that I realized that it's it's their life, not my life. And that any time that I try to put my will upon them, things don't go well. Mm-hmm. I, I was the mom who took my twenty now twenty two year old to MIT when he was like seven and I'm like, So this is the college you're gonna be going to and you will be an engineer. And and here he is three weeks ago, graduated from film school in LA. Mm-hmm. You know, and it and it took me for him to go into that deep, dark place in ninth grade and high school, for me to wake up and realize, what am I doing? Wow. What am I doing? You know, this isn't my life. This is his. Yeah. And allowing them to make those mistakes if if, if film school doesn't turn out for mm-hmm. him, it's not my life. And so that was the single best thing I ever did for my kids, is to realize that it's their life mm-hmm. and then just support around that, right? And and I will say this is my only uh, thing that 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 does kind of make me realize wow where are our values as a society we have you know like you mentioned this beautiful group program and I feel like you know at any given time we have you know about twenty twenty five teens in our program mm-hmm. and you know given the size of our county we really should have many many more mm-hmm. and here's here's what I've heard. Right. I've heard parents whose child just got out of the inpatient hospital or or the, the crisis unit for having attempted on their life. And then we suggest so we have a program that is every day, you know, for for six hours a day where they're going to be doing intensive work just for a couple of weeks and then down to less less time. And they'll say, oh, that's too much. We don't we don't have time for that. Mm. We don't have time for that. And it just breaks my heart to hear that the commitment just isn't there when their child just attempted on their life. Mm-hmm. But then you have parents who do traveling volleyball, who do gymnastics, who do, and then those places are full, mm-hmm. full brimming. And people are paying cash, $400, you know, $1,000 for these experiences, but the copay is too high to bring your child in for mental health. The time is too much to bring your child for. Mental That's what really um, baffles
0: me as a society. It sounds too like denial. You know, it sounds just like we were saying, mm-hmm. sweeping under the rug. We, I think, we don't realize how much we learned that if you just don't talk about it, maybe it'll go away. And, mm-hmm. and it is. I have compassion. I mean, it is such a painful thing to open your eyes to. It and is. it's almost like if you agree to this kind of help that you're somehow sealing the deal that your child is is struggling.
1: And and more so, you know, dot dot dot. I'm a failure. Yeah. Far. You know, that's how I felt. Yeah. That's how I felt. How did what did I do wrong here in owning that? It was it was my journey. You know, a lot of the times we say I turn to the parent and I say, Are you in therapy? Yeah. You know, what is your support? What are and it's not a, a dig. No. It's a, you know, we need it just as much. It's the family that's going yes. through
0: an issue. Yes. I, I like you even so, more after right? this conversation. I <laughs> I I love that you shared about your journey as a parent. I didn't realize that you had older kids as well. And it was like listening to myself. Yeah. Mine is twenty. And I've been repeating what you just said, especially recently, like this is your life. This is your life. And also repairing things for when they were younger. <laughs> yeah. Yes.
1: Oh, man. I, I tell them, I was like, I'm sorry. I was a kid myself. What was I thinking? Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I, I didn't know better. And 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 so we have to, you know, have that self-compassion that we can only operate from where we are. Mm-hmm. I can't pretend to know something I didn't know back mm-hmm. then. Now I do. I know better. I do mm-hmm. better. And that's where we need to find what is it for you, for your family that can take you there, that can help you learn. We have parent support groups, you know, poorly attended. Mm. Those are free and open to the community. It's like those things that we put out to learn. How can I get to know my teen? What if my teen is experiencing, uh, and I am going to call it out because it is prevalent maybe they're they're questioning their gender maybe they're exploring different expressions of themselves how do we deal with that as parents mm-hmm. a lot of parents struggle with oh i know yeah. we have a parent support group that that talks about those things mm-hmm. that that you know has that safe space where you can ask the questions and again poorly attended so these are some of the things that i would like to bring awareness to is that you know seek the answers. It's not going to go away just by shoving it under the Mm-mm. rug. Um, you know, we have to grow. It's, it's a call for growth. It's a call for growth for for yourself, for your child, for humanity.
0: And shame is such, you know, I think something that is harmful in our culture. When you talked about how painful it is for parents to feel as though it's their fault or to mm-hmm. maybe take feedback from their kids. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's painful. Yes, it's uncomfortable. And repairing or apologizing doesn't mean that you also, as you said, didn't show up in the best way that you could at that moment. That's not to say that everybody is for sure. But for those who have done the best they could in that moment, you know, two things can exist at the same time. We can acknowledge the experience that our children had with us. And we can also understand that there was broader context that they won't understand at this moment, but we can understand that for ourselves.
1: And it's just that, and it's just that, you know, the, the, the seeking for how can I heal myself and my family? You know, there's this beautiful saying, you know, when I heal, you heal. And so it's really looking within yourself. What could I be contributing to this situation? You know, because many times we, we have parents drop off their kid and it's almost like fix them. Yeah. And it's and it's not just that. It's the unit. It's the family. It's the parents. It's the siblings. It's everybody.
0: I agree. I, I agree. I can see that in our family system. And I've certainly sought out support through the years because it is not easy. And yeah, uh, there's been lots of questioning in, in my family. And I'm really grateful for the groups of teens that I do get to go in and and introduce some movement and some tools to at Aspire and I it's beautiful actually the connection that I, the connections that I see um, fostered between them and how community is so helpful like you can really see a lot of the things that you learn in textbooks in our field come alive in those groups the power mm-hmm. of community the power of hearing another person's story and how you can relate to it and then the power of moving as a group you know that's what I've trained in we 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 don't even sometimes have to speak if we're not comfortable just kind of moving as a group or breathing as a group all of these things are very healing and then um yeah having this non-judgmental place and it, it's it's a sad reality that not every space is like that it's a sad reality that the society as a whole is not as open to the revolution that our kids are right now. This questioning, you know, personally, I I think it's a wonderful thing. And, and it's sad that there's so much resistance, you know,
1: For sure. And, and so we're here, we're going to continue to be here. Every year we take a look at the curriculum, we revamp, Hey, what's new that's out there. You know, we try to bring in the cutting edge. I always want to be at that edge of learning of what can we bring in for clients, you know, that we, that will help them ultimately. And, you know, there's been some people where, you know, they come in and it's, and it's too much, you know, they they've had so much pent up. And, and then we always say, we're always here, you know, if, if this isn't the right time, maybe another time, but, but, We're always here with the doors wide open for whoever wants to start the healing journey.
0: Now, of course, we're talking, you know, very specifically about um, Aspire in Central California and listeners of this Mm -hmm. podcast are, you know, from all over. And so, yes, I mean, if you happen to be in California, these are programs that are covered by insurance, which is really amazing. Um, But Mm -hmm. in your own community, you know. Uh, we would definitely encourage looking for resources. Now, unfortunately, right now, that's the part of the crisis I've, I've been on wait lists for therapists at this time that's in the true. world. And I'm glad that there are different resources. You know, we've been, we've been sponsored by BetterHelp on this podcast before. You know, I'm glad there are different resources, but let's talk about when resources are not available, um, without adding to like an overwhelming list of shoulds for our listeners. What are a couple of things that you feel that everybody could easily, first of all, let's start with easily be adding to their own self-care practices in order to be beneficial. And then maybe we can talk about being mindful in relationships. You know, we could talk a little bit about um, how much of ourselves is projected on those that we love. And if we were more aware of some of our limiting beliefs um that would really help us be easier on our kids and our partners and in the workplace. So let's start with just what are some easy things that we could do for self?
1: Yeah, first of all just even like an inventory, right? What do I do for myself? Because the answer may be nothing. <laughs> it may be I just I just, you know, go through life and I work and I and I do the kids and I take them here and I do that and then I collapse at the end of the day and go to sleep and then I start over the next day. So if that's what life feels like or looks like, we need to move some things. We need to really take inventory of where can we um, take a breath. And I say take a breath because it's as easy as that, you know, where we put our phone down, we close the laptop, you know, we sit in the parking lot. I mean, it literally, I mean, it literally could be that, you know, you can, you can be waiting for the kids to come out and instead of, cause what do we do? We all do it. We, we, we reach for the phone. We start scrolling. Uh, we call somebody. And so where do I already have built in spaces that I don't have to create? And there's, there's lots of them if you think about it. Even in the shower, Mm -hmm. we all have to shower. Mm -hmm. So uh, things like that, you can start to notice, you know, I'm just going to be present. I'm just going to notice how often my mind drifts off and come back. I'm going to uh, have positive affirmations. I'm going to look in the mirror uh, while I wait for the kids to run out and, you know, my visor and say, I love Mm -hmm. you and hold that that
0: gave simple thing. I love that simple one. Thing. How, how often are we, you know, just sitting at a red light and, and you, we, mm-hmm. we don't seem to be able to just be still anymore. Um, but just mm-hmm. like a quick glance, like, yeah, I've got you, you know, you're doing great. You're yes. doing better than you think you yes. are. That's usually true. Yes. That's usually true.
1: Yeah, I yes. love that. You are enough. Yes. Anything like, um, I have, I do have a mindfulness masterclass on, uh, uh that I took a lot of the lessons and then kind of went a little deeper, um, on, on an app, the mindful minute app it's on both, you know, the Android and I in iOS markets. And, and I go through week by week, you can listen to it in the car. There's a, a meditation at the end. Um, you know, something like this, There's tons of resources out there. Insight Timer is one of my favorites um, where you can learn some of these things. What even is mindfulness, right? If you haven't taken that full deep dive into it, what is it? What is the true authentic self versus the ego? Um, What is my mind body connection? What are these energy centers people talk about? So these are some of the things that we can start doing One of the best things I've done is, is listen to podcasts or, or books while I'm Mm -hmm. driving. And that way, you know, my commute becomes my enriching living experience. Mm -hmm. And the best part of that is that you're actually engaging the doing by driving. And so your mind, your left brain is engaged so it doesn't have to hijack, you know, your learning kind of like when you do zoom calls we're always multitasking have other windows open because we need that part to be engaged to listen.
0: Oh, I love that you just gave us even more permission to listen to podcasts while we're driving. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to honor your time here. I know we just have a couple of more minutes, but you know, you brought up what is mindfulness and I know that that is a bit to unpack, but I wouldn't I would love it if you just kind of summed it up for us and then Again, there is a lot to unpack in what I'm about to ask you, but I would say that one of the most important things for our own mental health is to kind of learn to own what's ours when it comes to our emotions and our thoughts. So if you wouldn't mind, and I think that goes together, you know, the practice of mindfulness mm-hmm. and the practice of mm-hmm getting to know ourselves and getting to know which beliefs and maybe what we learned when we grew up that is informing the emotions that we're having. And then that's what can be so destructive in relationships because we'll make those emotions about somebody else. When in in fact, you know, the work is to understand where they live in us and to take care of that. So would you mind speaking to all of that as we close? Sure, sure,
1: sure. No, yeah, it, 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 it is, beautiful how you laid it out because it's almost like the analogy I'm thinking that came up in my brain is literally like when you're going to go do a messy art project, you're going to put down some kind of covering for your table. You're going to make sure that that foundation is there so that then you can go do all the messy work you want and come up with something beautiful at the Mm. end. So mindfulness is that newspaper or that cloth that you're laying down Mm. first. Because you can't go in, in my view, to go do that messy inner work in order to then come out with, you know, gold at the end. If you don't have the basic tenets of how do I just stop? And if you were to think about it, there's already things you do in your life that are mindful, that are are meditative, right? People often think, oh, I can't meditate. I can't sit still Um, or they equate it with, you know, sitting on top of some mountain in a a certain pose. In reality, anything that you already do that is non-anxiety provoking, calming, soothing, you lose track of time and your mind quiets is meditative, is mindfulness. For some people, that is exercise and running when they hit the quote unquote in the zone. For other people, it's working on their car, gardening. All of these activities knitting right can be so meditative so what are the qualities there you basically have stopped you know doing like the crazy everyday doing and you're and you're engaged in something where you're noticing the present moment you're noticing the nuances of your body how you're engaged your mind is quiet everything seems to slow so, mindfulness is just paying attention to the present moment in a particular way. And Diana Winston from the UCLA program adds, with open curiosity. And I like that because it almost has this toddler like, childlike hmm, what is new about this moment? What do I hear? What do I see? What do I sense? What do I take in? That's mindfulness. And you can't really hear. If you, if I were to say right now, can you hear the air conditioning where you're at or the rustling of the leaves? You can't listen to it without calming your mind and your body, even if it's for two, three, four seconds. That's mindfulness. So everyone can do it. We all were born mindful. If you look at an infant, that infant is just observing, taking everything in, and they're just mindful. We're mindful up until our narrative starts which for some of us is what, a year and a half, other people three years old. But until your, your narrative and your brain starts, you are just 100% mindful. So it's funny that we are born that way, and we almost spend our whole lives trying to cultivate that back.
0: I love listening to somebody talk about their zone of genius. You know, I, that was very inspiring. Um, you know, I'm inspired to be even more curious as I head away from this conversation. And I'm so glad I'm bringing this podcast back because it's actually the opportunity I have to talk deeply with people in my life that I'm just getting to know. You know, would we have the time to do this otherwise if I didn't ask you? Yes.
1: Yes. We, we don't set a time, you know, hey, let's talk for an hour about my. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, I'm so grateful for you you taking the time to come on and chat with me. And I will make sure to include that app that you spoke about in the show notes.
1: Yeah. And if you have a child in your life or just the big child in you, I did write a children's book. I am the mindful mountain. It's on Amazon. And this book takes you through a really nice guided meditation. It has the central valley themes of, you know, orchards and things like that, but it takes you down your own, you know, mindful mountain uh, guided meditation. So definitely written with lots of love and, and with my own kids. Uh, in
0: mind. Well, thank you so much for being such a force for good in California's Central Valley. It has made moving here so meaningful to me. I love being a part of Aspire and I've loved our conversation this morning. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for creating this space where people can, everyday people, right, can just uh, speak about their passion and we can really uh, try to just move that just a little bit further regarding the conversation of mental health and mindfulness. Yay!
0: Thanks again for listening to the Warrior to Warrior podcast. If you enjoyed it, please take a moment to give this podcast a five-star review. You can do that in the Apple podcast app. It helps other people to find the show. Thank you so much.